Hey, and welcome to Product Journeys. I'm Frank Leisner. And I'm Lachlan Robertson. We're both product managers stumbling our way through our product journeys. We're out to meet amazing product people and learn a bit about their skills and experiences. And today we've got a great conversation with Chris Baker. Prior to being a group product manager at Zero, Chris has spent time in project management, people leadership, along with coaching and consulting type roles. He's passionate about building great product teams that are able to deliver on his company's global ambitions. Chris, it's very nice to have you on the podcast. And we're going to start off with your product journey. So how did you get to where you are today? Firstly, thanks for having me, uh, Fran. Lachlan, you're coming out of the gate asking a massive question there. Rather than me go off on an hour's tangent about my life story, maybe I should just track back from the finish. So if I look back over my experience, what are the key things that added together that add up to what I think allows me to be effective within my role? If I think back long into the distant past, I had a bit of a leadership journey. And uh, I grew up in Ireland and growing up and in my teenage years and early adult life, my understanding of leadership was uh, shaped by the media. So shaped by movies and TV shows. And, you know, it was leaders lead from the front. They're decisive. They make quick decisions. And in some more toxic TV shows, they lean across a boardroom and yell, you're fired at people who don't perform. And quite frankly, that was my experience growing up through school, college, early uni, my part-time jobs. That's how leaders functioned. You know, they led from the front and they made decisions that often weren't fair or maybe things we didn't agree with or maybe didn't even help the organization. But there was a skill set that I was very, very fortunate to to learn. And it was from one uh, great leader early in my career. And that skill set was servant leadership. In about 2008, I graduated from uni. I just completed my master's in counterterrorism and security studies. But I had the unfortunate pleasure of graduating into a market which had just collapsed. So that was 2008 where all grad programs stopped and it was mayhem to, to get any jobs. So my plan A was out the window and I had a plan B which was to apply for a role in an Apple store that was opening in uh, Belfast, in my hometown, which came through. I'm fortunate enough to get that role. And uh, that's where I met my manager then, a lady called Mags. And she kind of taught me about servant leadership, both through example and in practice. I worked there for five years. And throughout those five years, she championed me to progress in my career. She championed me to move forward for a role, go over to London, apply for a a coach and a a leadership role. And I was in the fortunate position at the end of my tenure at Apple to be able to travel around the UK, teaching workshops, teaching best practice. And all of that experience is 100% attributable to what she taught me about servant leadership. And that is that we lead from the back. We think about the outcomes. We champion the outcomes over our own agendas and our own egos. 
And it sounds really cliche to say, but and I know this, I'm speaking to an orthodoxy that exists at the moment between management and leadership practices, but in 2008, it didn't. And I was only exposed to this through Apple's connection to Apple corporate and their leadership practices that cascaded down to me. So at a formative age, I found myself very um, fortunate to get this key experience. Was it, was it something that Mags, right? And that was the, the leader that she identified your potential or, or was this something that you were like, actually, I, I want to do more than work in an Apple store? How did that go? I think it was her mindset. I don't think it was me personally. I think it was she looked at her role as maximizing my potential. So she looked at her role as motivating me to grow me and to find areas of strength and maximize them. And for that, I am eternally thankful. Amazing. Yeah. Epic first manager to have somebody who, I don't, well, I was going to ask actually, what's your view on the difference between a manager and a leader? Because she was obviously your manager, but also instilled this leadership. When I think of the word manager, I really do feel like it invokes that person leaning across the table, shouting your fire. And um, when I think of a leader, I think of people that I want to work for, people I want to work with, and people that inspire me to go that extra mile. Nice. No. Uh, and I interrupted you, sorry. I was maybe just going to link it back to product leadership, because I feel like this is a foundational ingredient that we should look for and we should aspire to be as product leaders. Yeah, and you mentioned the focus in a way on outcomes as well, right? Which is a lot of what we do within our role as well. Yeah, and, and so so your journey, Apple, going around traveling, presenting, educating, helping, uplifting. Where'd you go from here? From there, I ended up in New Zealand and Aotearoa on our shores here, and. When I think about my journey, when I think about the next foundational role that I had to contribute to, it would be working as a project manager. My time as a project manager helped me build a business acumen, and it helped me form a team that was able to get from A to B. That business acumen, I think, is foundational within our role. I think the imprint that it's left on me is that time is money, and if at any time we are looking at our teams and we look at the cost of what we're doing and we think it's not worth the cost, it should be raising alarm bells. At a very micro level, a project manager role allowed me to have my own budget to understand how much effort it is to do things and also kind of challenge things and processes which were not adding value there. It's, yeah, what's the difference with product management then? Because obviously there's accumulation here of the leadership, the project management, everything kind of comes together. But what defines product management? So if you had have asked me then, what's the difference between a product and project manager? I would have said there's not much difference. But since working in that role, I've went on a full circle learning journey. So I think the fundamental difference to answer your question is the product manager needs to ask why so needs to ask why we're doing what we're doing the project manager needs to get from a to b and that's fundamental 
I guess one other difference between those roles and this difference actually led me to my next role is that project teams, we throw them away. So we assemble them and then we unassemble them. And so over a life cycle of a team, you start to see how those human to human connections grow and the team becomes more and more efficient. And so it's almost a travesty that we kind of go, ah, go back to your home teams. Everything's over. It's time bound, isn't it? Whereas product is iterative and you constantly trying to improve and, and that team becomes almost much more important to that too. Yeah. And the fundamental difference there is that in a project, people flow to work. In product, work flows to people. It's a key difference. So my next role, I was lucky enough to be accepted into an agile coach training academy. So this was a six-month role throughout training and in kind of qualification. So I was very, very fortunate to get access to trainers from all over the world that taught me the principles of high-performing teams, how to build high-performing teams, how to support them, what it looks like, what discovery practices look like, what great decision-making looks like. So I work with some of the most amazing people that I've ever worked with in my career, a whole bunch of coaches out of Auckland, Wellington. We spent an unhealthy amount of time staying together in hotels week after week and forming a foundational experience for me. Uh, Not often in your life do you get that kind of opportunity and that kind of investment in your personal development. After that experience, and that experience really taught me about high-performing teams. That's the skill that I brought with me. After that experience, I then tried to build my own high-performing teams. So I moved back to a client-facing role, and I built teams myself on client site to deliver value to the client in an iterative way which was a fundamental departure from how we used to deliver in the past, which was very waterfall, very get requirements up front, get things signed off. Months later, we might deliver something, we might not. I pioneered a, like a different contract model, which was effectively, we delivered a sprint review every two weeks. And if at any time the client was unhappy with our direction, they could effectively cut funding. So it was a meshing of the world that I knew, which was the business acumen, which was how to actually engage with people to do the right thing, and a product world which really spoke to addressing core needs, delivering iterative value. And it's a feeling and a a drive that I've brought with me into my current role where I still look to that. Now I would call that success metrics and failure metrics. We would, instead of cut funding, maybe point that team in a different direction towards a different outcome. But that's still foundational uh, to me. Did you ever get cut? Was there any, any client oh, that came? No, uh, actually, I think that the client that I delivered that for last is still running with that uh, model. So, yeah, I guess the last part of my journey to today was joining Zero. From an outside looking in, I uh, looked at the company from a product perspective and I thought, Instead of having to hire a team and manage a whole bunch of people within that team and build a financial model and build a team, how different would it be to actually move into a product-led organization and get the hands-on experience with a more mature enterprise product team and work with a whole bunch of beautiful product leaders here? 
Love it. The, one of the things you, you talked about is forming those high-performing teams, the external world versus now being doing it in a more established company. What are the, some of the, the key things that you need to think about as far as that? Obviously, servant leadership is that at the start of this. I'm assuming that is going to feature there, but what else have you got? Of course, servant leadership. I think a lot of these topics are kind of talked to at a broad level. You pick up any book, they'll tell you, you have trust within your team, have horizontal accountability so people feel accountable to their peers. I guess from a product perspective, the big one is a real core responsibility for you is vision and purpose. You can have the best team in the world, but if they're not wholly bought into what you're doing and why you're doing it, you'll notice that team maybe doesn't reach the levels that that they could do. One other trap that I'll throw out is that when you do reach a high-performing team, you will struggle to articulate why or how they're high-performing to anyone who asks. You will just see the outcome. Someone will say, why are they so great? And you'll be like, they just are. That's great. I had a conversation about that today, actually, with someone like, there's this team, they're doing amazingly. What is it? What's the special source? Mm. It's so interesting, right? Because it, like, it's a team kind of thing. And, and I always reply back to the forming, storming, norming, performing kind of things. There's always a journey that a team needs to go through. You need to iteratively improve it. You can't just snap your fingers and be a magic team overnight, right? It, exactly. It takes a lot of time, effort, and energy. And it also takes the right external structures as well. So a team will never reach that if they're not empowered through the right mechanisms and the right structures to create that little space for them to kind of move with it. That's, yeah, I love that. I feel like there's a lot to explore there as well and to learn. I'm going to jump actually back to the very beginning. You talked about growing up in Ireland and the leaders there that you learned from. Just out of interest, culturally, do you see differences in, say, I don't know, product within a space like in Ireland or in New Zealand? I think this is where company culture kind of comes into play. Company culture can cross borders. And having that experience with Apple, I definitely got exposure to a culture that maybe wasn't indigenous within the companies which operated in proximity to, to Apple. When I first came to New Zealand, I, for instance, did think that some of the leadership practices were a little bit dated at that time. I thought you were going to say casual, because that's what I think of as New Zealand leadership as being just pretty casual, less hierarchical than other countries. But yeah, yeah, that's (laughs) true. Yeah, maybe that's an indictment of the companies that I worked for at that time and just the journey that they were on. But certainly, if we think that uh, as product leaders, we're not in direct competition with product leaders from across the world, we're kind of kidding ourselves. We, we are, our teams are, and uh, if we're not in direct competition, we're in indirect competition for talent or whatever. Yeah, thinking about how that then manifests is the way that we approach how we do our jobs and and I, I don't know if I guess competition is a thing that we talk about a little bit as far as differentiating our products or the key difference that are lighter perhaps it's interesting thinking about that as a, a offense versus defense style thing when we're building products as well I don't know if you have any any thoughts on that 
Oh, look, yeah, we do have a number of direct competitors within a number of markets. And there is almost certainly parts of their product that is maybe on a, a more advanced journey than, than ours and ours on more advanced than theirs. There's product competition there. There's also behavioral and organizational competition where almost certainly for every uh, team that has a purpose here within one of our competitors, it will be a team that has almost an identical purpose. So how fast can we move? How fast can we release? How do we recognize customer value in better, smarter ways? These are all the questions that we're asking ourselves. I'm going to jump on and actually go loop back around to that project manager versus product manager. If you're out at a party and you meet someone who is first time, they say, what do you do? You say, I'm a product manager. How do you go about describing that to that person? For a wide audience, I would say that a product manager connects the needs of our customers with the needs of our businesses and then asks why. Bring in the why. That's that's great. It's a thing that as a product manager you do all the time, but you don't think about it either. Yeah. If that individual at that metaphorical party wants a more longer-winded approach, I would talk to them about the amount of disastrous projects I've been on that were delivered really well, but delivered zero value, probably cost the business money. So yeah, just within that lens alone, it's like, why did we do it? And I feel like that's where the product role really comes in. I'm interested to dive into the measurement of value. Like obviously, businesses delivering software to customers, if you deliver it well, more people buy it, you get more money, great. But how, how else could you measure the success of a product? How have you approached that and understanding whether it is actually valuable to make the thing that you're making? Within a large organization, we need to find success metrics at every level. And that can sometimes be tough, right? Everything that we do isn't directly attributable to increased revenue. So within whatever space that we operate in, we need to define success metrics. And we need to know what good looks like. We need to know what bad looks like. What does failure look like? And we need to constantly measure everything we do against whether it nudges one or the other. So building upon that and and now your role as a product manager do you have certain tools frameworks or or things that you always have in your toolkit as part of doing your job effectively or you'd recommend for other people to think about when i think about my role so my role is a group product manager i see my role as an enabler for those beautiful product teams so when we think about high do we move at a very quick speed? I feel like at that pod level, that's where the product role operates with the trifecta, with design help, with engineering, all the rest of it. But when we look up and we look to the business and we go, well, how do we ensure that we don't have two teams working on the same thing? Or how do we ensure that we maximize efficiencies of scale? I feel like that's where some of these other roles come in. And when I think about tools, I'm going to slightly dodge your question here, Lachlan. I'm going to say, what outcome are we trying to solve for? And I say that because uh, a trend or or a behavior that I often see within people across their product uh, leadership journey is that they reach for tools without knowing the problem. I like that as well, because I think there are there are so many tools and so many frameworks and, you know, you could say prioritization and just pull out rice or something, but actually it's not very helpful if it's not 
the tool for the problem you're trying to solve or the, the thing you're trying to do, I guess. Yeah, let's throw out an example. If you're really struggling to get buy-in to what you're doing, you're struggling to influence people, um, you're struggling because another team somewhere might be doing something very similar to you, you might reach for a stakeholder map. You might whiteboard that or you might go deeper. Nice. Yeah, and being enabler for product teams, you've obviously had relatively new people coming into products that you've led and managed. And I think one of the things that we're really keen on is helping people to understand what skills to develop in their product careers, especially early on. From your experience, what are those things that you think are pretty general for products people to develop at kind of that low level? Everybody looks at this through a different lens. I've got my lens and what I look for are leaders. And by that, I mean people who can lead and motivate a team. Right. How do you see that? What do you look for? I can tell you what I don't look for. So people who have a very high technical skill set in product, but can't convince other people to run with them. And what I see in the best leaders is the people who have that skill set, but also know how to motivate and engage a team and stakeholders to move in a direction. And they are very effective in their roles. And it's the, the message I would give to, to anyone who's looking to go on this journey is that certs and tools are, are great, but getting leadership experience to me speaks volumes more. I'm gonna bite on that. So the ability to, to influence, to motivate people, have you seen things that that work or perhaps don't work in that space? Where would I even start to learn more about that? No, it's a really good question. One core competency that I always look for is emotional intelligence. Um, and that's being able to just work with people. Often through a product role, you buy many parties within the business or outside, you will feel or be seen as accountable for an outcome. And when you're in situations where you feel accountable, it's sometimes easy to default towards a leadership approach, which maybe isn't as conducive with some of the behaviors that we would like to see from ourselves, like getting out to stick that command and control type approach behavior. And when you approach that role with emotional intelligence, with the ability to empathize with people, you start to have real conversations and you start to really understand what motivates people and what motivates people in different ways. And the sum of all those parts is usually a team that does, in effect, go faster and a team that is usually happier as well. Nice. Yeah, I think that goes back to those intangibles of what makes up a great team, which are really hard to measure. But yeah, I don't know. They're, they can sometimes be really obvious and sometimes not, but it's obvious when you got it. It's not obvious when you don't. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing you, you touched on earlier on as well is building trust within those teams. One of the the big things is motivating people towards a direction. Doesn't need to be betting all of your money on a particular thing, but being okay to just try a little thing or a stakeholder be like, Yeah, okay, we can give that a go. I'm happy to be wrong, kind of thing. And be able to do those iterative changes to commit or motivate? Yeah, and that's it. You know, it's maybe the piece of pie that I maybe didn't articulate there, Lachlan, is, is also just keeping alignment to what's important and conveying that to the team. If we go too far one way with 
product or teams, we can lean into that command and control space, which is quite problematic. But the other way is equally problematic. And that is a leadership path that usually results in the team going at the speed of the most risk adverse person because we don't have the difficult conversations. We don't challenge. And that is equally not not good there. Yeah, I guess like in all things, it's a spectrum <laughs> and you've got to find that magic middle ground that works for you. Yeah. Nice. Well, let's move on to some rapid fire questions. Rapid fire, usually a word or a sentence answer if you can. So we'll start with, have you got a book or an article that you'd recommend that you're reading currently? I'm going to, in the light of saying, solve the problem in front of you. This isn't a rapid fire answer, but I'm going to say, just read anything, Marty Kagan. Just read it. It's foundational. Yeah. The books and, and the blogs and stuff. Yes, yeah, inspired, empowered, any blogs you can come across. Guys like the thought leader in product at the moment. So just align with that. Yeah. There you go. Podcasts. Do you listen to them? What's your favorite you go to? Yes. So currently, we are experiencing a lot of macro trends. So I would suggest, and something I do, is I listen to Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, and Financial Times podcasts, particularly the tech ones, because our long-term roadmaps might be impacted by the winds that are blowing. That's great advice, and also probably very relevant in this current climate. What are you most grateful for, Chris? In life, I am grateful to be able to live in this beautiful country. Very grateful for that. Recently was awarded citizenship. It's a great thing I'm grateful for. And nice. Yeah, I'm grateful for my family, my partner Ash, and my kid Finn. So super, super grateful for, for life. There you go. Yeah. Is there any other calls to action or, or final takeaways that you'd like to share with the audience? I guess the only other thing that is on my mind at the moment, I know it's on a lot of product leaders' minds, is how do we scale product? Something I'm fascinated by and just maybe going to throw out my own spicy take and that's that we don't. So each of our product managers should be, in my mind, empowered with the tools, people, and the ability to move forward within their own slice of value. And the job for the rest of us is to ensure that all those meta trends and all those big picture things are cascaded down to those teams to help inform the direction that they have. I guess expanding upon that, we work at a bigger company. How do you still do that and move forward collectively with all the different value streams potentially? Do you have thoughts around how that plays out? Well, the good news is we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We need to look to see how other organizations do it. Um, and there's divergent views on this. Google, they actually just run the risk of people duplicating effort, which is why you get a whole bunch of duplicate services out of Google. They just see what sticks, kind of go with that. Apple tends to be quite top down in terms of vision, centralized vision. And I would argue Spotify would be somewhere in the middle, which is decentralized vision with internal alignment. In my experience and my opinion, as, 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 as new I am to the industry, I would align with Spotify's model. That's great. It's actually been 
on my mind a lot recently as well. I don't know, I've been talking to a lot of individuals and hearing a lot of different thoughts on things. Someone will say some one thing that goes that direction and someone says another thing that goes that direction. I'm like, how are you going to align on that? Is someone just going to win and we're just going to go one way? What actually happens there, which I think is really interesting to observe. My view is always like start with what I think look great looks like. And to me, grit is an environment where a grad or an intern could come in, conceivably look at something in a different way, float an idea, and that idea makes it into production and adds customer value. If you track back from that, how do we create a framework around that experience to enable that? Yeah, I love that. Because both it's the, the idea of making that value accessible to people, but also that diversity and and thought and perspective being such a valuable part of innovating and moving forward, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I was going to say also coming back to what's the outcome we're trying to solve, articulating that as part of it, because I feel like those two directions have different outcomes. You can decide based on where you want to go or what the outcome is that you're trying to solve, but they're probably both equally in a direction that makes sense for whatever reason. There you go. Um, well, great rapid fire answers. The other thing that um, you mentioned, great product companies, Marty Kagan talks about Stripe being mm-hmm. a, another great example of a product led company as well, which obviously isn't one of the Apples or the Googles. But yeah, nice. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Chris. That was awesome. And thanks again for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for your time. And thanks actually for running with this as well. It's a great thing to champion. And I'll, I'll try and spread the, the word far and wide. Uh, where I can. Thank you. We appreciate it.